on 11 a.m. Could you put your hands together for Jesus this morning? Y'all don't even realize. Y'all are the real believers. Y'all in church, when the Cowboys are playing, y'all got faith that God's got this and you don't need to be there in front of a TV. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I'm grateful y'all in the house. But if I see you looking at your phone too long, I know you're streaming something. So just holler out a score every now and again. I'm saying 3-0. and oh. Miami don't got nothing. Anyway, I want to, before I lose the anointing too quickly, I just want to greet you from Calvary Arlington. Man, I'm grateful. I'm honored to be here. I'm grateful that our pastors would allow me to sit in this, this pulpit. I don't take podium. I don't take lightly to be able to stand up here on this platform and be able to speak to you. I take it very seriously. So um, I want to jump into mixtape part eight. We've been in this series on the 23rd Psalm uh, for about eight weeks now, and uh, we just can't get out of it. We're going to wrap it up. I am going to wrap it up today. And then next week, please be ready because our pastor is back in the pulpit. Pastor Ben will be here to launch the new series that we're going to be going in. And this series, I, I'll just give you a little sneak peek if I can. This is one that I promise you, you will not want to miss where we are going. There's going to be a lot of vision involved in this and direction. And if you wanted to link your faith with somebody that has very big faith, uh, be here because Pastor Ben is dreaming some very big dreams that I believe are from God. And uh, I hope that you will be a part of it. This is the final installment of Mixtape. Um, this summer series has been made up of this psalm, Psalm 23, uh, which obviously follows right after Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is the alley-oop or the layup or the setup for Psalm 23. Psalm 22 is a prophetic psalm talking about Jesus on the cross. It's quoted in there many quotes verbatim that happened at the foot of the cross. Uh, talking about they pierce my hands and my feet, they cast lots for my garment. This is all in Psalm 22, almost a thousand years before the actual crucifixion. But you can't have the benefits of Psalm 23 unless if there is a death in Psalm 22. So that is why this is a prophetic. And when I say prophetic, there are two ways that we see prophecy. One of them is foretelling, talking about something that's going to come down the pike. But then there's also foretelling it, describing something that is happening right now, like a prophet that rises up and says, hey, y'all better get ready. The 70 years of cap ba ba Babylonian captivity is about to come to an end. Let me interpret the times that we live in. That's foretelling what you can find. So we find ourselves here in Psalm 23, and I want to jump quickly into this. So please grab your Bibles. Um, or your apps. How many of you have a physical Bible? Hold it up if you're actually flipping pages. Amen. Look at that. We still have, I like to write and stuff. I love it. That's great. We don't ever want to lose that. And the rest of us got our phones, right? We all got our phones. So I either want you to flip there or click there to Psalm 23. I want to read it in its entirety. And then I will focus on the last two verses here this morning as we break the bread of God's word. Um, Psalm 23, verse 1 through 6. Um, this is what it says. 
This is in the Eugene Peterson version. This is the message version, so don't get all hung up. You could read it from whatever one you want. Uh, we got some King James only out there. We got some NIV. We got some um, Amplified out there. I'm going to read this because it paints a great picture for us, so this is why I'm using this interpretation. Uh, Psalm 23, 1 through 6. God, my shepherd, I don't need a thing. You have bedded me down in lush meadows. You find me quiet pools to drink from. True to your word, you let me catch my breath. In fact, let's just do that for a moment. Can you do that? Can you just stop for a second and just take a breath? You're in a safe place where Christ said, it's okay to recover yourself. It's okay. I know we're a bunch of workers. Got to figure it out. Got to get an answer. Sometimes you just got to sit and catch your breath. You send me in the right direction, verse 4. Even when the way goes through death's valley, my God, I'm not afraid when you walk at my side. Your trusty shepherd's crook makes me feel secure. And here's where we're going to land today. You serve a six-course dinner right in front of my enemies. You revive my drooping head and my cup brims with blessing or overflows. How many of you are grateful for overflow? He's not just the God that fills you to your capacity. He's the God of the overflow. Oh, I understand, Old Covenant. I, I know there was a widow that brought a bunch of empty jars. And the moment that that last one was filled, the oil stopped flowing. How many of y'all know you have rivers, plural, that never stop flowing? It continues to overflow because it's not just for you. Overflow must mean that it's for somebody else. God blesses you to be a blessing. Your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. I love this. I'm back home in the house of God for the rest of my life. Thank you, Jesus. You know, many of us, Psalm 23, it, it, we have to look at it with a new lens. And before I jump into this and pray, I want to give you this picture. It's important for you to understand that many things that we talk about are spiritually perceived. That's why Jesus would say many times, those that have an ear, let them hear what this spirit has to say. He, he ain't saying don't listen to the vibrations of my voice that puts together words and sentences and paragraphs and thoughts. He's saying there's another voice at work. I'm hoping you can perceive this voice. And you see, this is part of rightly dividing the word of God. I believe, I believe this brings clarity to the body of Christ when we are able to preach a, a message that is clear and succinct and it's not mixed it's not trying to give you something of the old that doesn't apply to you now as a new covenant believer. It doesn't anchor you back to the past. It pushes you forward in what God has for you. I find it interesting that in Genesis, when God created Adam and Eve, there was a spiritual blindness that took place. Oh, you didn't see that? In Genesis chapter 2, I saw that. Because the Bible says that when they ate of that fruit, their eyes were opened. So does that mean that they were blind? Or, or were they now seen in a different realm? Follow me here. Because you see, 
The Garden of Eden was a perfect combination of the physical, the created world, and the spiritual. It was perfect. But all they could see was the spiritual. We had fellowship with God. We, we walked with Him. We would name animals that were physical. In the physical realm, there was a perfect blend. But they ate from this tree, and the Bible says their eyes were open, which means that spiritual eyes became shut. That's why you don't see them seeing God anymore. In Genesis, it said they heard him in the garden. Yeah, anyway. Not trying to make a theology out of this, but there's something about seeing. And isn't it interesting that there is a fall? And when Jesus shows up on the scene, you can count so many miracles that he did that was restoring sight. Sight. What was about that? Something was about restoring sight. I find it interesting that the apostle that would bring the new covenant revelation was struck with blindness. Then he had to go somebody whose name, by the way, meant grace to pray for him. And something like scales came off of his eyes where he could see again. So really, when we look at Psalm 23, I'm hoping that these blinders come off and we can look and see what the spirit is really trying to show us in here. That's why we've been spending eight weeks. That's why pastor is parked on this. It is a reality. And just to finish that thought. I'm not going to go there. Father, today I thank you that we get to break the bread of your word and see Jesus more clearly. I pray today that there would be nothing that blocks our view of you. We have come that we might see this light that had penetrated darkness, but darkness did not comprehend it. Today we want to comprehend that light. We want to understand just how wonderful of a thing you did in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, can you put your hands together this morning? There's two, two characters that we see in Psalm 23. Um, it is the shepherd and the sheep, but when we get into verse 5 and 6, a third party is introduced. It's this idea of this enemy. An enemy shows up on the scene. It's an interesting reality that people are more lonely than ever today, but we have more friends than ever. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all got a bunch of friends on Facebook, on Instagram. Are they really low? Are they your friends? Are they the ride or die? Do you go to them when you're struggling? Look, I'm just being honest. We, we could be more connected, but more disconnected. That's this reality. We live in this place where we think, and by the way, you don't know them. You, you don't know them. You see the picture of what they want you to think of them. I mean, everybody is in shape. Everybody eats right. Everybody goes to the gym. Everybody's life is perfect. You lie. Your life is a mess just like mine. You're a train wreck. Kids throwing up, tearing your house up, getting suspended, not enough money. You, you got crazy in-laws like the rest of us. But we are more disconnected than ever. We live in an age where there is not deep relationships. And I think part of us crave that. But here's the reality. As long as God is on your side, as long as God is the one validating you and giving you significance and identity, you will be okay. You won't try to conform to get all these folks to like you because I don't really, I don't need that. 
You don't need to stroke my eagle. It's, it's almost like when God spoke over Jesus when he was baptized. He said, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Y'all know that wasn't for the crowd. He didn't say, this is my son. He said, you. Now, there was a different time on the Mount of Transfiguration where that was for everybody else. Because he said, you all better listen to this dude. But if you hadn't heard those words, which, by the way, those words are over your life, New Covenant. But if you haven't heard the Father validate who you really are, you will always live far below what God had intended for your life. If you haven't heard the Father, which, by the way, that is the sound out of heaven. That is what he is saying over your life in whom I am well. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And I don't know about you, but that gives me a security and a strength that nobody else can. Ain't nobody could stamp me like that. And when he does that, it allows you to walk through these difficult seasons. It allows you to be able to endure those things because it's like, I know you're with me, God. I know I'm a son. I know that I'm pleasing to you. I know that I'm okay with you. I know that I'm okay with you. Pastors are not immune to loneliness. I won't spend a lot of time on this, but um, and we don't we don't talk about things like this very much because pastors learn to deal and roll. There's a lot of hurt. I'm sure y'all understand this. Everybody has been betrayed. Every, I'm not trying to do a boohoo story, but there is. There is a thing that, that pastors can't be pastors unless if they keep a soft heart. You cease representing the Father if you harden yourself. And the temptation is, I'm not going to let people close because I've been wounded from that. You, you begin to erect walls. Y'all know what walls are? Y'all do that too, right? Where I'm not going to let you in. I keep you at an arm's length. But you know what's so sad about living our lives like that? Is those walls that we build to protect us. Yeah, it'll protect you. You got no relationship. They become walls of a prison that keep you in there from experiencing the beauty of life. Now you don't get to be in people's life and watch God do supernatural things and be a part of it because you built walls. It robs you from the richness of life. Life is what you do in between the high moments. Life isn't just the graduation, the marriage, the I got my first house. That's not life. Life is what happens in between those moments and who walks with you and who's there for you. That's where life really happens. It's, it's in the grind. It's in the middle of it. And this is where you've got to be able to tap on who you are in Christ to be able to walk that out in a victorious way. But pastors many times are lonely and I felt that pain a few years ago when there had, we've all been betrayed, whatever. But the reality is the difference is pastors don't put people on front street like that. We we protect the Bible says love covers. So even though people be bashing and saying crazy stuff and calling all their friends and eh, this happened and you don't and you part of you wants the flesh to rise up and go, you want me to show you the text messages from this joker? You want me to show you that? But you don't. You don't. You just hold it in. Get mad by yourself. God, I could expose something here, Lord. We could expose some sheep here, but no love covers. But there's a danger because just like you, we have to keep our hearts soft so we can be open to what God wrote. David wrote this part of Psalm 
as if he was saying, man, this is just me, myself, and God. Do you ever feel like there went nobody else, just you and God? You ever feel like that place where it's like, look, God, it's just me and you. Nobody else is here. Nobody else understands me. Nobody else gets me. I want to give you three truths very quickly that we can get from the last two verses of Psalm 23. I want you to write them down very quickly. Number one, Jesus gives you all that you need. Jesus gives you all that you need. That's important for you to understand because many of us live with a mentality of lack. Many of us live with a, a lack or a poverty mindset. Well, I've always been raised in it. This is what I'm going to have. This is where I'm going to live. Remember, I told you what I'm teaching, you have to be spiritually discerning. I'm speaking to something deeper than just your eardrums right now. See, what we need to understand is our spirit realm is what should initiate the physical realm. Where you are co-seated with Christ should be what manifests down in the created realm. Y'all know that the created realm came out of the spiritual realm. Y'all following me? God was spirit. He spoke and creation came into existence. Now you are co-seated in that spiritual realm and you carry spiritual authority. And to the degree that you believe that, receive that, operate in that, is to the degree you bring heaven down here. Oh my God, I'm preaching so much better than y'all giving me right now. You might be watching the game, I don't know. Is it 7-0 yet? Y'all looking at me crazy. My God, that was a word. I got myself excited. Psalm 23.5 says, you serve me a six-course dinner right in front of my enemies. Boy, in the New, New Testament picture of that is Philippians 4.19, shall supply all your need. Somebody say all. All. It didn't say some. said all. Like these are promises that you can lay hold of. These are your promises as a new covenant believer. If you are co-seated, which you are, you have every single right to every promise that is made to you in this book. It's up to us to appropriate and lay hold of that. But y'all know that we can live far below. You can perceive God as a stingy or just barely enough God. And that's how you will live your life. He's not going to force things onto you. I don't know about you, but I don't serve a jet. The way I see God is more than an, I see an overflowing cup. I don't see just enough or not enough. Now, I won't lie. I used to believe that. That's how I used to see God because it was based on my performance. And my performance was always not enough. So I was like, well, I guess God's not going to give me enough. God is the God of more than enough. And I hope you can hear what I'm saying. And I'm not talking about with your natural ears. Because as you perceive God or how you perceive God is how you will receive from God. That was another bomb. If, if, <laughs> are you allowed to say that about your own word? Are you about, I don't know if you can say that. <laughs> about to tweet my own stuff. Do we do Twitter anymore? Does anyone do that? No? Okay, a few people. Doesn't make me happy when the old folks go, yep, and Facebook. That's the only way I connect. That's awesome. When you get a 20-year-old kid, you realize you are very old. One of the greatest lessons I've learned about the Christian life is this. Peace is not the absence of problems. Peace is simply the presence of Jesus. See, when he prepares a six-course meal in the presence of my enemies, it's not saying 
that it's in this totally calm place, this surreal where, oh, I'm per No, there's chaos around you, but God says, I've got all the provision you need. Don't worry. See, we're not saying that there isn't, that you won't walk through some stuff on this life. I, when we say you can have peace, we're making that statement because we know Christ dwells in you. Oh, the boat was being tore apart. Oh, it was going down. Disciples be freaking out. Jesus was taking a nap. Like, I, I just, I believe that God did that on purpose, man, because ain't nobody sleep when a boat is sinking. Because the disciples said, this thing is sinking. Jesus, I, I know he was, there was a test. He's acting like he's asleep. He's like, these boys about to go crazy in a minute. But he was, he was making a point for us to look at. That look, as long as I'm in the boat, you're going to be okay. Hey, church, he's in the boat. He lives in you. You're going to be okay. And if you're glad for that, somebody ought to give God some praise this morning. My. That's for you. I love this story. It was a Cherokee youth. And they, they had a, a ceremony as, as young kids going to manhood. And what they would do is they would, the tribe would take this youth into the middle of the woods on the darkest night, no moon. Pitch black, they would leave him there all by himself. He had no weapons, no way to defend himself. And when the father would leave him there, he would simply say, no matter what happens, remember, you have nothing to fear. Needless to say, the young man heard every hoot, every branch rustle, every pine cone that fell. It was a bear that was getting ready to pounce on him. You know, in your mind, how you create that? Some of y'all that your mind don't stop, you know what I'm talking about. You go down these exercises in futility where you start thinking about, well, what happens if it's this? What happens if it's this? And what happens if it's this? And you spend all this emotional energy at night, be grinding your teeth, worried, having anxiety attacks of something that's never going to happen. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all look up WebMD too, right? You get a rash. <laughs> My God, it's a bubonic plague. I've got six weeks to live. <laughs> We'd be okay, we self-diagnose. That's awesome. Thank you. Rather than simply trusting God, that's what this little Indian boy would do. Every branch, everything, it's in the dark. But what happens, the noise of accusation comes at night and says, you ain't going to never met. We know what you did. Oh, how is God going to use somebody like you? My God. You still got glitter in your hair from the club. How God going to use you? You got a stamp on your hand as if that disqualifies you. My, I don't know. God used a man that murdered somebody and committed adultery with his wife. Like sometimes we, we lose our minds in the church. Like somehow you disqualified. How about when you trust God, those very things that you thought disqualified you actually qualify you. I don't know that God somehow uses your bad. I, I recall a verse in the Bible that says he's going to make it work for you. Romans 8, 28. I'm going to take everything that you thought that was bad, hurtful, and I'm going to use it for your good. I don't know, but that almost seems like this game is rigged. You know what I'm saying? Like as a king's kid, it seems like this thing is rigged in my favor. I don't know. Boy, pastor, you be trying to preach a message that seems real easy. Oh, you think faith is easy? You know what's easy? Give me five things to be righteous. That's easy. It requires zero faith. The law requires zero faith because it tells you what to do to be blessed. On this side, you want to know what's hard? Trusting God. Sitting there in the middle of the night when all those noises are happening, like I ain't going to make it. This ain't going to happen for me. I, I miss my window. That takes faith, and that is hard. 
have trouble imagining that some animal is going to attack this young man. He spends the entire night in unbelievable terror, counting the minutes till the sun comes up. Do you know what would always happen when the sun did come up? As a young Cherokee, he would strain his eyes to get accustomed to the light, and he would see his surroundings more and more clearly, and one of the first things he would see was that his father had never left him. Stayed there all night, weapons in hand, to protect him. The only reason why you and I should be able to sit down at a table and eat in peace is because our shepherd is always near. Not only does he give us all that we need, he is all that we need. Our provision is not just found in his hand. Our provision is found in him. He is our provision. And I love the imagery. He sets a six-course meal. Do you find that interesting that you're not in that scenario? You ain't in the kitchen cooking bread. You're not trying to make a tossed salad. You don't even get to choose what you're drinking. He says, I prepared the meal and made a table for you. You didn't even set the table. You didn't do one dish. Oh, I know we want to insert ourselves into this narrative. Oh, God, give me something to do. Nope, I prepared the table in the midst of your enemies. I, I, I know we want to somehow inject ourselves into the story. Sorry, it's his story. History is his story. What you get to be is a beneficiary of what he did. While you were yet sinners, Christ died. He didn't ask your permission. He didn't say, hey, what do you think about this? Are you okay if I go ahead and take care of your sin issue? He didn't ask you. All he did is prepare a table and invite you to believe. That is our job, church. Will you believe and will you receive what is yours? That's it, period. If you want to sum up what our walk is, it's will you believe? Will you take your seat at this table? Unfortunately, many of us stiff arm God and we say, no, I got to earn this. Let me get in the kitchen and do something for you. Do you know anytime you insert yourself into the narrative of history like that, I'm talking about the finished work of the cross. You know what you do? You devalue the cross. The apostle Paul said it like this. You make the cross of no value. He said, if you get circumcised, if you try to take one little part of this yourself, you make the cross of no effect. It will have no effect on your life because now all of a sudden you think you're part of this. He said, all you do, yeah, I know many of us take this story like Jesus, take the wheel. No, he doesn't take the wheel. He's the driver. You're, you're the passenger. The Bible says, since we live by the spirit, let us keep in step. You're keeping in step with somebody that's leading. Oh, Y'all don't want to hear this. That's Galatians 5.25. Look, we, Jesus, take the wheel. No. You got that wrong in your mind. You're in the passenger seat. As a matter of fact, if we were to have the accurate picture, you're like a little kid in the passenger seat with the fake steering wheel and the beep, beep, beep. That's you. And all you do is enjoy the ride. He says, hey, you're going to have fun here. And what do we do as adults? Let me show you where to go, God. No, no, no. Go here. Go here. And God's like, would you let go of this wheel? I know what I placed in your heart, and I know how to get you there. You just keep in step with me. You just trust me. Sean, this is where you wrestle, man, where it's like God, God shows you something in your life and you want to grab the wheel and you want to jerk it. And you want to say, God, God, I, I can figure this out. God said, what I put in you is so much bigger than you. You're going to have to trust me. There's a strategy that man might put together, but what I gave you is going to be by faith. You're going to take a step of faith and people will write and go, how did you do that? And you're going to say, I just heard from God and trusted him. I'm not talking about tens of millions, Sean. Like this is... God says, elevate your eyes. Look higher. 
I, I don't know where your eyes are and I don't know where you've been looking, but I'm telling you, if you were to walk by faith, th this is why you got to trust God in little things because what he has for you, your mind can't even comprehend or perceive right now. So he's like, look, I got to let you overcome the giant, the bear. I got the bear, the lion, and then the giant. But I, I, I can't show you everything because you're not ready. I wonder why that portion of scripture that says, I'm not going to drive out the land of the inhabitants immediately, but incrementally so that you can, in, he was talking to Israel, so that you can increase in size. There's a reason why you're not walking in it yet. He's trying to increase in size. I'm not talking about your spirit. I'm talking about trusting God in your mind, will, and emotion. He says, I'm increasing you right now. When you take these steps of faith, when it does not make sense and you take a step of faith, I'm increasing you. The truth that you know is not real until you play it out in the arena of life. Oh, yeah, I trust you, God. Okay. What happens when I say, I want you to move from this job? You trust me then? Again, it ain't real until it happens in the arena of faith. Abraham, I trust you, God. Okay, give me Isaac. And then you don't realize God don't really want something from you. What he's trying to do is get something to you. Mm. One of the greatest enemies that we have is sin and death. He prepares a table in the midst of my enemy, sin and death, along with all the progressive effects. Revelation 1, 18, isn't it interesting? Jesus took the keys of hell and death. Hell is a result of sin. So here comes Jesus with these keys. Keys represent authority. So if the greatest enemy that we have is sin and death, and Jesus overcame both of those things, and he now dwells in us, we already have this victory. That's why we, we, we sing a song before the battle. We praise because we know we, already, we are fighting from a place of victory. Now, you may not have experienced it yet in the realm down here, but it is yours where you are co-seated. And your faith is what is going to help to move you into it down here. I'm, I, I wonder if these six courses are something like this. What if the table that he prepared, by the way, you didn't prepare it, you had no part of it, that was his table. That's why communion is called his table. Welcome to the Lord's table. Trying to make it about us. How dirty I am. Stop making it about you. It's the Lord's table. Anyway, he prepares a table for us. What if it looks something like this? Here's the six courses. I just proposed this to you. What if the first course was a revelation that you have been co-crucified? What if the second course was you have been co-died? Which, by the way, when we just saw baptism, that's an image of that. What about co-buried? Huh? What about the fourth course is co-quicken, which means you now came alive. And then how about co-raised? How about you were raised to life with him? And what about the sixth course, just to top it all off, come kind of a little dessert at the end, like a espresso creme, espresso creme brulee or, or you know, like a, something like that? You have been co-seated and you are co-reigning. What if that's what he topped it off with? If the greatest enemy is sin and death, then what I just read to you, the revelation of what is now yours, what is what happened on the cross? I'm not talking about Jesus died on the cross. I'm talking about you died on the cross. I know we love to be in the crowd looking at Jesus on the cross going, oh, yeah, I'm like Mary Magdalene going, oh, Jesus, what they did to you is such a shame. And if that's your position, if that's where you see yourself in the crowd looking at Jesus, the most you could feel is bad grief. That's why whenever the passion of the Christ comes out, we all weep. Oh, what they did to Jesus. 
But when you got a revelation that it was a substitution and not an execution, that you were actually on the cross where the apostle Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. When you get that revelation, when you understand this, everything changes. You now have access. Everything is yours. Number two, Jesus gives us just what we need. That's important. He anoints my head with oil. That's Psalm 23, 5. I could go through what anointing is throughout all of scripture. In essence, it is the Holy Spirit. That is what you have been given. It is joy. It is teaching. It's 1 John 2 where he teaches us. It is joy in Psalms 45, 7. In James, it's to heal the sick. In Luke, it's to empower us. It's to preach. Isaiah 61. That is what the anointing does. That is what the Holy Spirit's oil in your life is. And it is yours in the new covenant. That is what Jeremiah 31 says. It says, I will take their heart of stone out. I will give them a fleshly heart. I will put my spirit in them. Well, I love that. That sounds so good because there was no conditions on that. What you had to do in the old always had conditions. It was always on you. You hear pastor all the time saying the law is a ministry of condemnation. Grace is a ministry of affirmation. The law demands you shall, you shall not. Grace supplies. I will put a new heart. I will give them a spirit. And all you do is receive by faith. That's the Holy Spirit, the job of the Holy Spirit. Number three, write this down. Jesus gives you more than you need. I love this because it's more than enough. This is important for us to understand. And I want to elevate us because of where we're going as a church and as a movement. Our, our pastor has a mandate on his life and, and it's to build a local church, but it's also to be a voice in the nation. He goes and travels throughout the nation and unlocking areas. And if you think I'm joking, there are places he goes that board members from the church along with the pastor will meet him after he preaches and begs him not to leave. Some of them with tears in their eyes saying, what you unlock, we have never heard. Like something went off in us. I will never be the same. We have to learn this. What is this? That's why how fortunate you are to be in this house, church. You are hearing an unmixed message. We are rightly dividing. It's like the Protestant Reformation, where you just don't know what you don't know. When you're in it, you can't see it. Until somebody says, let's, and I love the story, and I don't have time to get into it, but how God led us into that. Because we were part of that, but the Holy Spirit, and this is not a, this is, this is not a, a conference you go to, you can't go in here, it is how rightly... This is, this is against the organized system. And I don't mean against because we are for the local church. And what we are called to do is to elevate the bride of Christ. To dust off what Jesus died for and said, no, you're missing it. You're not seeing it with spiritual eyes. And God has given this house more than enough to take this message out. The more than enough, and I want you to see this, is you. If, if you just look at it up here and you're saying, oh, yeah, it's more than enough. Our pastor traveled. If you don't begin to see that you are the partakers of the divine nature, if you don't begin to see your role in this, if you don't understand that it is the Christ in you, like some of you don't even realize the 30, 60, 100 fold that is inside of you. Did, did you just hear what I said? You don't understand the 30, 60, 100 fold that is inside of you. 
You think that it's somebody else. You're always, it's them, God. It's them, God. And he's saying, no, it's you. It's you. I've placed it in you. Receive, believe and receive it from me. My cup runs, runs over. Grace gives us always more than what we need. I love it because that cup symbolizes what we're holding. But the overflow is what we believe we want to send out to the world. Did you know his goodness has marked you and it's going to follow you? All the days of your life, that's his goodness. I love it. It's a picture of the whole story of Ruth and Boaz and, and them winding up these sheaves and dropping them before her. She did not have to work for it. She simply received. The workers did it. She simply bent down and picked up these sheaves already cut and ready. And then it gets even better than that because he married her and she owned the whole thing anyway. Y'all just don't realize how much goodness is in you because of our father. His grace is moving us. I want to end with this thought in John 14. You need to understand that you are the dwelling place of God. Many of us understand in John 14, 16, and 17, it talks about this truth of these mansions. If you go into verse number three, it talks about, I'm going to go prepare a place for you or a mansion for you. Y'all know that? verse, that idea that out there someday you're going to be in a mansion. I always wanted my mansion to be like MTV Cribs. I wanted outdoor living on stubborn gas grill with a beautiful kitchen and, and then have that. You know, you always see those houses with the giant sliding wall from the living room to the outside. Oh, Lord, I wanted that. Just like slide that wall out. So like you go from outside into, in, but it's like a living room and then a huge pool. I'm like, Lord, could I get that? Lord, what do I got to do to get that? That'd be cool. But what they never told us is if you go down to verse number 23, when it says, me and my father will come. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. That's why we think it's in heaven someday. But when Jesus made that statement, was it before the cross or after the cross? See, he did go prepare a place for you. He did. He prepared a place because when he died, you died. And the reason why this, I, oh, I don't even have time to get into that. The whole reason why in the garden that they had to be out of the, it was a grace gift. I don't want them to take hold of the tree of life because they will live in a fallen state forever. But if I could bring my son and take care of the sin issue, and then I could redeem them and give them the Christ life, I could dwell in them. So when he says I'm going to prepare a place for them, what if God was talking about you? Because in verse 23, the same one that says, me and my father will make our abode with him. That same word abode is the word mansion. Same word in verse number three. He's saying, when I come back after you have been crucified with Christ, I will come back and make my home with you. What if that was it? What if the Psalm 23 was a revelation of that? What if Psalm 23 was a revelation of that? Pastor, what are you talking about? Well, if you go into verse number one, Jesus is my supply. Because I have been co-raised with him. Num verse number two, he's my rest and my refreshing. Verse number three, he's my restoration and my righteousness. Verse number four, he's my comforter. Verse number five, he's my abundance because my cup does overflow. Verse number six, he's my home. Or more accurately, you became his home. So don't look around for somebody else. Don't look around for somebody else to make the difference.
Christ is using you. Psalm 23 is your psalm. When it says he anoints my head, it's personal. It didn't say he anoints our head corporately. He anoints my head. Everybody say my. That's who he anointed. If you don't know the indwelling power of Christ, you will live far below. God is speaking to you. Like, like he's saying, will you trust me in this? Will you allow me to lead you? I've made my abode with you. Do you know what that means? You cannot fail. Like he's saying, at the end of this, if I truly am the author and the finisher, it's rigged. Yeah, you might walk through difficulty, but there's the operative term, through. You are more than a conqueror. Beloved, you understand that when you begin to walk in that, and that's why when we come together in a local church and our pastor casts a vision and you lean yourself into that, it's not just what they're doing. It's what we're doing. We are the body of Christ. I hope you plan on attending this next series because Pastor Ben, as comes next week, is going to be casting some big vision and I want you to see yourself a part of it. Don't say, oh boy, they're doing some great stuff. You are a part of this. I'm looking at people that we're going to send. I'm looking at missionaries, teachers. I'm looking at business owners. I'm looking at people that God has called to be in the workplace, but also be full-time ministry. When I say full-time, you just live the life of Christ. Don't think the full-time people are the people you see on stage. You're full-time ministry. Your life is a reflection of Jesus. What, what you touch, Jesus touches. Where you go, he goes. What you speak, he speaks. You are the change agent. Father, today we simply gather around your word to see Jesus more clearly. I thank you, Lord, that the Holy Spirit, the menorah, the lampstand, is positioned right in front of the table of showbread. And as we have seen the Holy Spirit illuminate Jesus a little more clearly, I, I thank you, Father, that faith came alive, that we understand we're not spectators in this thing. We are participants. God, you have allowed us to be a part of what you are doing in the earth today. Father, no longer will we see ourselves as just stand bystanders, but we will be engaged. I thank you for greater levels of faith, greater levels of open doors over your people. I thank you that we have peace today. In Jesus' name, amen. Could y'all put your hands together? Man, we're doing some crazy stuff, y'all. And as a matter of fact, if you haven't heard of pop-up gospel circles, take a look at the big screen and just see what we are doing in cities all around the Metroplex. Go ahead, take a look. What's up, everybody? I'm Ethan here at the Plano Pop-Up Gospel Circle. I'm super excited for this. My name is Matt. I'm at the Plano Gospel Circle. This is my first time uh, to be involved in anything like this. I loved it. Sometimes I tend to forget what brought me to this point, who brought me to this point. And uh, it's all about God's grace, uh, where he picked me up out of. And I'm glad I was just refreshed and reminded of who he is and his goodness and his mercy tonight. And I appreciate everything. Get involved. Get in this. It's awesome. It's amazing. Thank you.